Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is our last episode on the Conference Breakdown Series, and today we're going to talk about the West Coast Conference. And the top seven teams that we're going to talk about in the West Coast Conference are Gonzaga, BYU, Loyola Marymount, Pepperdine, Pacific, Santa Clara, and St. Mary's. And then at the end of the episode, Jalen and I will choose our sleeper. So let's start with Gonzaga. Jalen, does it look like Gonzaga is going to finish out this season undefeated and possibly win the championship undefeated? Well, um, I mean, obviously the, the season's concluded for them. So, you know, in terms of regular season, check mark complete. That's the first step of uh, an undefeated season in the first place. Uh took out some pretty relatively decent teams on the way. We'll end up talking about that a little bit more as we go along. But I mean, considering that Baylor failed to Kansas a couple of days ago and that Michigan is still one of the better teams in the country, but I don't necessarily know if they're better than Gonzaga. I think that the tournament now officially runs through Gonzaga. And I feel like it was like that all year. But after Baylor failed, there was that that big domino effect of the other teams that you look down the pipeline and you you just kind of wonder if Baylor could not hold off Kansas. And the way they lost to Kansas is the other thing that stands out significantly. If Baylor could not hold off a team like Kansas, what would they be able to do or who else would be able to surmount them as the next best potential team to hang with Gonzaga? So. I think that Gonzaga pretty much should be able to run the table moving forward. And, I mean, they're the team to beat. They've been the team to beat all year. But, I mean, now everything is leaning in their favor. Gonzaga is the best team in the country right now. And there's a lot of firsts for them. They're first in the country and conference in points per game. First in the country and conference in field goal percentage. First in the country and conference in two-point field goal percentage. And they have the team to go undefeated, including three National Player of the Year candidates in Corey Kispert, Drew Timmy, and Jalen Suggs. Corey Kispert, who leads the team in points with 19.5 a a game, is an efficient scorer from the field, shooting close to 56%, and from three, 46%. And I think it's also safe to say that Drew Timmy is one of the best big men in the country. He leads the team in rebounds and averages close to 19-7 and a game. And then Jalen Suggs has proved to be a potential lottery pick. He is averaging close to 14 points a game, and he leads the team in assists and steals. I would also say another guy, Joel Ajayi, another double-digit scorer for them, compliments Suggs in the backcourt. And I could see them winning the championship undefeated to finish out this season. Yeah, and I mean, you talk about big first. I mean, one of the bigger first that stands out for me is 92.9 points per game, which is literally first in the entire country. Like that right there should tell you everything that you need to know. And I mean, they have three guys that you could argue are up for National Player of the Year. They have three guys that have that have the chance to be the WCC Conference Player of the Year. Um, I think there's a lot of interesting factors when it comes to this team. And the fact that they go so deep is really 
really intimidating, honestly, because this is one of the more balanced teams um, Gonzaga has had before. I mean, because, you know, you look in the past, obviously there was the Rui Hachimura, Brandon Clark team, and they were relatively balanced, but I don't think beyond those two that the talent was as as high. Like, you look at the the forward combo of Corey Kisper and Drew Timmy, that already is – I would argue, at least from a college basketball standpoint, that the that the combination of Corey Kisper and Drew Timmy is a little bit better than Brandon Clark and Rui Hachimura coming out. And then the backcourt of uh, Jalen Suggs and Joel Ayayi is just ridiculous. And, I mean, you know, they've had Zach Norvell Jr. once upon a time, and, you know, he's dynamic. He's played relatively well in G League, but – He's not Jalen Suggs. He's not Jalen Suggs by a by an inch, a mile. It's not close. And Joel Ayayi, apologies, is having a really solid season as the fourth guy. And, I mean, it's really interesting to see what they're doing right now. But here's my question for you, because we're not going to be able to do this often. Uh, we're going to try, because there's a couple of guys that we can point out throughout this uh, conference, but um, we're going to try to touch on as many potential NBA guys as we go through the WCC. When you look at these top four, right, and I know Drew Timmy is probably one of those guys that's more so projected to go come out next year instead of coming out this year, but if you look at the top four, right, Kisper, Timmy, Sos, Ayayi, if you had to take, you know, if you were somebody that had to be putting a draft board together, which is something that we're definitely going to end up doing down the line in order, what order do you think that these guys will be drafted in this year's draft? If we're factoring in drew Timmy coming out this year, instead of waiting till next year, I'm going to say Corey Kisper goes first. I think Jalen Suggs goes second and drew Timmy goes third. When you're talking about two of the most electrifying college basketball players in the entire country, it's Corey Kispert and Jalen Suggs. Obviously, I think Corey Kispert has lottery pick potential. Jalen Suggs had lottery pick potential since he started at Gonzaga. People were slating him as a top five pick in the NBA draft. So both of them have that capability. I could also see Drew Timmy as a guy who ends up going in the first round. I think as a late lottery pick, I would also say maybe a late first round pick as well. I think his ceiling is a late lottery pick. I think his floor is a late first round pick. I mean, when you talk about how Drew Timmy has been able to fill the role left by Killian Tilly last season, I think that's something we have to factor in. A guy who's averaging 19 and seven a game, it's impressive. I think Joel Ajayi ends up going either in the, early second round or late second round. I don't see any way possible that this guy goes undrafted, especially with the way he's been playing. I think as a solid fourth option for Gonzaga, he's going to have to have time to thrive on his own. I'm intrigued to see what team he'll go to if he does get drafted. But I think it's just interesting. I think he's almost like the X factor of the team because when you think about the three national player of the year candidates, the fourth best players, Joel Ajayi, I'm intrigued to see what his NBA career will look like, especially when he's not alongside Suggs, Timmy, and Kispert. Yeah, so, I mean, I I, have, I tend to agree with you, Jalen Suggs, then Corey Kispert. I think that, ironically enough, I actually think that Joel Ayayi has a better chance to maybe translate a little bit better than Drew Timmy. I think that's part of the reason why Drew Timmy is projected more so to probably go back to school for at least another year. 
Um, I think because I mean, I think Drew Timmy, the biggest thing for me with him is the 70% free throw shooting um, overall and the fact that he's not really a shooter from the outside. He takes less than one three point attempt per game and is hitting 35%. Like those are two things that are relatively fixable, but definitely need to be addressed if he's going to be a high level big at the next level, especially because he's very uh He's very one side, one side of very one dimensional. There's not a lot that pops out of, about him defensively. So I think that that's one of those things that's just going to be like set in stone as a, a thing that he's probably going to go in and try to adjust to on the college level. Um, the main reason why I ask that is just because I feel like the Gonzaga guys have a real chance to have three of them go in the first round. I think that's real respectable. I think Ayayi is a guy who could actually go in the back end uh, I mean, Jalen Suggs is still somewhere in like the top five. Um, there's still this weird dynamic in the draft combine draft analysis world of, you know, based on what we've seen so far, based on the measurables that we might get later on after the season is over, that, you know, it's a five, it's a five horse race, but then it gets really, uh, really dicey, really shaky after that. And I think that Corey Kispert is it, Corey Kispert is a guy who can go in the top twelve. I think Joel Joel Ayayi is a guy who can go in the last five of the first round between twenty five and thirty. So I think it's just really interesting to see the fact that they have that many guys who you could project as not only first round picks, but if you picked out Drew Timmy and just said, "Let's look at him from a potential standpoint," if he came out this year, I think somebody would still take a flyer mile out on out on him in the second round. So. That's crazy production for a school that's not linked to Duke, uh, the Kentuckys of the world that tend to have a lot of these guys come out. So moving on now to our next team in BYU. Jalen, I have the sense that BYU can be a top five seed in the NCAA tournament. Do you believe that there's a chance that BYU is a top five seed in the NCAA tournament? I mean, I think that BYU is in the mix for it. I mean, being second in the conference definitely helps. I think some of the things that's going to help for them overall is just some of the little things that stand out. 10-2 and two at home, 7-2 and two on the road. I think that's huge. 10-3 and three in the conference, I think, is another one that really stands out to me. Uh, if, they, if they could have snuck a win off of Gonzaga, this wouldn't even be a debate. I think this would just be kind of a set in stone kind of thing. But if you kind of look at where – things ended out for them I mean they ended the season strong I mean they lost to Gonzaga 82 to 71 and it was one of those games that you know it seemed close but it never really was unfortunately Jalen Suggs had 24 Drew Timmy had um, 20 and 13 which was absolutely nuts I think that this team goes as Alex Barcelo goes in terms of talking about BYU he's one of those guys that's really stood out and I mean he played really well with 20 20 points four rebounds five assists against Gonzaga but I mean this team lost that game and quickly rebounded by ending the year off by pretty much smashing dudes by double digits um, the whole way through, except for the game against San Francisco, that was 79 and 73, but they ended out on a four game winning streak. So it's interesting to see how they go into the tournament. I mean, Ryan, unfortunately, the WCC is one of those conferences where after Gonzaga, it gets very uh, sketchy in terms of trying to project who is a legitimate threat in the NCAA tournament because it has a lot more to do about, you know, it has a lot more to do about seeding 
even if you see them as a five seed, I don't know how far I see BYU going. BYU is an interesting team, and I feel like they've been one of the best rebounding teams in the country. They're first in total in defensive rebounds. They're also fifth in defensive rebounds in the NCAA. Actually, first in total in defensive rebounds in the conference. Also on defense, they hold their conference opponents to 40.5% shooting from the field, which is first in the conference. And on the defensive side, they are second in field goal percentage in the conference and 24th in that category in the NCAA. They also score about 78 points a game, which is second in the conference, and they rank in the top 40 in the NCAA. Much of that scoring has come from, like you mentioned, Alex Barcelo, averaging close to 16 points a game, four and a half rebounds, 4.6 assists and a steal. He's shooting 53% from the field, close to 49% from three. He has season-high 29 points along with five assists in a close win against San Francisco. He was shooting the ball efficiently in that game, including shooting seven for seven from three. He also has had an increase in points per game from last season to this season. He went from averaging nine points a game last season to close to 16 this season. Another guy that's been a solid contributor for them is Brandon Averett, averaging 11 points a game on close to 44% shooting from the field, 37% from three. He closed out the season with seven straight double-digit games, including putting up 24 points in an overtime win against Pacific. And then Matt Harms, averaging 11 points a game, close to five rebounds and two blocks a game. He's been a, a huge addition for this team down low since coming over from Purdue. He's shooting close to 55% from the field, 62% from two. Two of his best games this season have come when he had five blocks in each game. He put up 21 points and five blocks against Loyola Marymount. He put up 11 points and 10 rebounds, a double-double, along with five blocks against St. Mary's. I know it may look like Gonzaga is the team to beat coming out of this conference, but Jalen, we can't sleep on BYU. I mean, and we. I mean, you're you're definitely right. I mean, BYU is the team that's come up as the bridesmaid in the WCC the last three seasons. If you include include this year as well, they've been in second place the last three seasons. So they they're definitely the team that can hang the most. I feel like with Gonzaga as a team in this conference, it's just honestly. I mean, they've got the talent there, and I don't think that they're necessarily like a weak team. Um, at all, I just do have my wonders about what they'll be able to do moving forward. I think having Alex, Bar- Alex Barcelo at the top definitely helps them out. Brandon Everett and Matt Harms are two guys who average a combined 22.4 points per game. I think that's significant as well, obviously. Um, I just think the biggest thing for them is you're, they're going to have to continue to shoot the ball as well they, as, they, as they have been um, throughout the season from beyond the arc. I think first placed um, in the conference, 39 with 39.8% uh, shooting from three. I think that's significantly huge. Like, I think the fact that they shoot at almost a 40% clip as a team is something that can make them extremely dangerous moving forward. So I think they're going to fall somewhere between that fifth and sixth seed, which might actually play in their favor a bit because I think they're a bit more talented than where their seeding is going to put them. But I think that's this is one of those teams – Come out of the WCC where I think if they um, um, more so when they make it, not necessarily if, because I just feel like they're too talented of a team within their conference to miss it. I think when they make it, where they land seeding wise, when the brackets come out is going to be very important to their success and just how far they actually can go. 
So moving on to our next team in Loyola Marymount, Jalen, who do you believe stands out to you on this team? I mean, so when it comes to Loyola Marymount, I mean, this is one of those where it's pretty easy, I think, to point out who the lead guy is. It's Eli Scott. For those who are not familiar with Eli Scott, um, this is a this is the uh, quote unquote Chino Hills Draymond Green. Once upon a time, this was the guy who in high school played alongside Leangelo Ball, Lonzo Ball, and Lamelo Ball at Chino Hills in high school, and I wouldn't say that he has all of those kind of qualities that are associated with Draymond Green, but there's a couple of things that definitely stand out. Obviously, the build is the first thing that comes to mind when you look at the fact that he's like two, uh, that he's like 245 pounds at six, standing at six six. I think that's something that instantly pops off the screen when you talk about that comparison he's averaging 17.7 points 7.9 rebounds and 3.7 assists so for a big man the facilitation is there he's a guy who plays above the rim I wouldn't say that he has a lot of moves um the biggest thing that scares me about him and Ryan we were talking about this a little bit before the pod actually started is the mere fact that he uh, struggles as a three-point shooter, and I think that's something that really stands out overall. He's shooting 24.2% from three on just under two attempts per game, 52% from two, uh, 48.5% from the floor overall. So he's a guy who lives within the mid-range and primarily the paint. This is a guy who played very above the rim in high school, and it's kind of been that way still in college, plays with a lot of physicality, loves to run the floor. That's one of the biggest things that I think stands out with him, about him the most is the fact that he enjoys playing in the open court, runs the floor really well, and creates space for himself using his physicality. That 245 pounds is not good, does not go to waste at all. Um, easily their, you know, easily their best player um, by far. And I think uh, we'll kind of get into this a little bit more as we get further down the lineups. But I think as we look at some of the players that occupy the WCC, you could argue that Eli Scott is an over, overall talent is a top 10 player in this conference. I would also agree. I think he is a top 10 player in this conference, and he's one of the the many NBA prospects from this conference that we're going to talk about. But I think for Loyola Marymount, it starts with Eli Scott. You mentioned he's averaging close to 18 and 8 a game, shooting 48.5% from the field, only shooting 24% from three. He only shot 33 threes this season, and he's only made eight of them. And he's also taken the most shots on this team, too. He leads the team in field goal attempts a game with 13. And the next guy would be Damien Douglas with 9.6 a game. He also has six double-doubles this season, including a 20-11 and double-double against Gonzaga. And then two other 30-point games. He had a 31-12 and double-double in the loss to UC Santa Barbara. And then a 37.6 rebound game, along with two steals in the win against Santa Clara. I think he's their go-to guy. But I also think that another guy who's been a solid contributor is Kelly LePepe, who's averaging or who's put up a season-high 19 points in the win against San Francisco. He went 11 for 11 from the line in that game, and, and overall he's shooting 80.6% from the line this season. He's also put up a couple of double-doubles this year, 14-11 and 11 in the loss to UC Santa Barbara, 13-10 and 10 in the win against Santa Clara. I think this team has a chance to make the NCAA tournament. 
I think they're either a low seed or a play-in team, but this is another team I feel like that has a chance to make the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and I think one of the interesting things to touch on with them is that, like, you know, they, you look at all their glaring stats in terms of overall, you know, across the country, how they stack up against the rest of the country, and they don't really dominate in any specific factor, but one that they do that I find extremely, extremely interesting, considering the fact that, I mean, they don't have a a ton of size. I know uh, Matthias Marcuson is 7'3", so I know that kind of leans everything in their favor a bit, but this team controls the glass in a very scary kind of way. They're first in the country in offensive and in, in defensive offensive rebounding, um, seventh in defensive uh, rebounding opponents-wise, and uh, first in total rebounding opponents-wise. They're holding opponents to just under 28 total rebounds like that's pretty significant honestly I think that's something that's really interesting for them because what they're doing is they're limiting secondary possessions for other teams and that's creating more chance for them to get out and run like I said Eli Scott plays really well out in the open floor so if they're securing boards and getting out on the fast breaks early I think they're a team that can put together a good stretch of points um, on a consistent basis and maybe even scare some teams because of the way they control the glass so the fact that they might not be a dominating rebounding team within themselves individually, but when you factor how they keep other teams off the glass, I think it actually slides in their favor in a way that it creates a lot of other opportunities for them. So I thought that was really interesting because they're pretty much, you know, in the hundreds and two hundreds and most stats, but that in the rebounding category, that's where that glaring control on the glass really stands out where they're pretty much a top 10 rebound uh, defensive rebounding team. So moving on to our next team in Pepperdine, Jalen, what stands out to you about this team? So, I mean, the combination of Kobe Ross and Kessler Edwards is really the move for me. I mean, honestly, uh, we'll probably end up talking about Kessler Edwards as a legitimate NBA prospect. We'll probably discuss, we'll, we'll discuss that a little bit more as we close out on Pepperdine. But I feel like realistically, that's the grouping for me that really stands out. When we look at Kobe Ross first, 18 points per game, 7.5 assists, so they, a true floor general. I mean, literally, if you look across the board, the only other person averaging at least two assists per game is Cedric Altman with 2.3. Um, and then you look at the 3.8 rebounds. I think one of the most important things for me is just that the fact that this grouping of these two guys both shoot at least 36% from three while taking at least nearly five of those a game. I think that is huge that they're shooting at such a decent clip um both shooting at least 46 to 47 percent from from the field as well on 12 attempts per game so it's a very even keel split between the two they both shoot dang near identical from two dang near identical from three dang near identical from the field and overall they're averaging very closely the same amount of points uh Kessler Edwards with 16.6 Kobe Ross with 18 so just about a point point and a half difference so I think that is significantly huge another thing that stands out for me too is the fact that they're both getting significant amount of steals uh 2.2 steals between the two of them uh which is pretty huge because they're the only ones averaging at least a steal per game on this team so their grouping um is really what stands out to me the most um overall in terms of, you know, individual production for Pepperdine. 
I think the most interesting thing about Pepperdine is that they rank in the top five in terms of three-point shooting efficiency on defense. They hold their opponents to 27% from three in the conference and in the country. They held San Diego State to 10.5% shooting from three when they played them, and there have only been two teams to shoot 40% from three against Pepperdine, and they were UC Irvine and Cal State Bakersfield. I think Pepperdine is going to have to rely a lot on the guard forward combination of Colby Ross and Kessler Edwards. Ross is averaging 18 points a game, seven and a half rebounds, just over a steal a game, shooting 46% from the field, 36% from three. He scored in the double digits in 10 straight games, including 21 points and three steals in the loss of BYU, 24 points and 12 assists in the win against Portland, 22 points in the win against San Francisco. He has a 10 and 10 double double against St. Mary's. 26.6 assists game in the loss to Santa Clara, 25 points and eight assists in the loss to Loyola Marymount, 27 points and eight assists in the win over San Diego. And I think that Kessler Edwards is another guy averaging close to 17 and seven a game along with a steal and a block a game. He's this other half of this guard forward combination that I think is going to be really deadly for Pepperdine. He's shooting 47% from the field, 36% from three. He put up a season-high 37 points against Pacific, and he has other double-double games against Portland, San Francisco, and BYU. They both have an equal part in the offense for Pepperdine, and their stats are pretty close together as well. They average close to the same amount of field goals made a game, close to the same amount of field goal attempts. They're shooting almost identical numbers from the field and from three. This could be the same case with Loyola Marymount, though, where I feel like if they get a tournament bid, They could either be a low seed or a playing team. Yeah, and I think one of the bigger things to credit Pepperdine on is just their their slow, um, their slow uptick, their slow rise within the WCC. They had Marty Wilson back in 2017, and they were the tenth team in the West Coast Conference once upon a time. This is only a couple of years ago. Since the introduction of not only Kessler Edwards but new head coach Lorenzo Romar. They've improved every single season within the conference. They went from 10th that year to in 2018, 2019, they were eighth. Then you look at the next season after this is last year, they were sixth in the conference and this year they're in fourth. So honestly, that uptick shows a certain amount of um, should lead to us showing them a bit of respect to a certain extent. And technically, if you want to go all projecty, that would mean that they would float somewhere around the second seed in the conference next year, just based on the slow kind of grind that they've had. I don't think that's actually projectable, especially with the, especially with the fact that Kessler Edwards is the guy who potentially is going to end up going into the NBA draft, and they've had Kessler Edwards for the last three years. So are those two things related in terms of their uptick? Is it just the is it maybe factoring in that there was a coaching change? There's a lot of different things that can factor into why Pepperdine has improved so significantly. But nonetheless, I think that's something that's really interesting to keep an eye on overall. Now, you know, I mentioned beforehand, obviously talking about the idea of Kessler Edwards being a legitimate NBA prospect. I mean, if you if you want to be realistic about it, Ryan, we both know that. The three and D wing forward is the the most coveted commodity in the NBA, while also being one of those things that's very scarce as an actual asset. I mean, 
We're talking about a guy who's relatively respected from the three-point line, just under 37% from three on almost five attempts per game. Shoots relatively efficient from the floor, shooting 47% from the floor this year, 46% for his career in college. He's a relatively balanced scorer in terms of the fact that, I mean, he's, he's taking only 12.3 uh, field goal attempts per game, but he's making the very most of them. 6.6 rebounds an assist of a steal and a block per game doesn't really steal uh doesn't really uh, uh turn the ball over that much either i mean honestly ryan where do you stand on a guy like this as a legitimate nba prospect in this year's draft with the draft being so so wonky so weird after you get past the first five to ten I'm not saying that Kessler Edwards is a guy who's going to translate into a first-round pick. I do think that's, that there's potential. 6'8", 200 pounds is a guy who just needs to put on a little bit more of a physical build and does have a bit of a game to work with to start out is definitely something that intrigues me. But I do just wonder if he's a guy who falls into the second round just merely off of – I mean, I guess you could start off with the fact that he's a little bit older. That's one of the things that – could come to mind but I think one of the other things too is just the fact that we haven't seen him against top level competition and I don't know if we will see him play in the tournament so where do you think he stands as a prospect though so I feel like many mock drafts will have him going in the second round but here's here's the caveat I feel like this could be something that we saw with Peyton Pritchard in this year's draft Payne Pritchard was, was slated to be a mid to late second round pick. He ends up going to the Boston Celtics with the 26th pick. This could be a situation with Kessler Edwards where I would not be surprised if he ends up being a late first round pick, especially with all the qualities that you mentioned. I mean, he's a guy who's 6'8". He could be a physical guy in the paint, also shoots consistently from the field. I feel like where he gets thrown in in this NBA draft is going to be interesting. Like you mentioned, outside of the top 10, it gets it gets pretty interesting because there's no real set order for who goes where. And I think that's going to be the interesting thing. I, can, I think Kessler Edwards could end up being could end up being a surprise considering that even though he is slated to be a second round pick, there's a chance he ends up like Peyton Pritchard and goes in the late first round. So I think it's interesting to see. Yeah, I just I just feel like he's a really interesting prospect. I think I mean you just can't teach six eight. He definitely has. I mean with with his length, with his kind of control, the fact that he has a very fluid game overall offensively. I think he's one of those guys that can really put it together. I think the WCC, um, you know, they don't have a ton of of NBA level talent across the board, but I feel like there's a couple of guys that we're definitely going to be able to point out as we go along that I feel like are relatively interesting in terms of what they could do. But I think overall, I mean, I just think that Kessler Edwards might be one of the most translatable guys in this in this potential draft class. And I just find it interesting that he's in a situation where unfortunately we might not be able to see him boost his his his, uh his stock very much more than what it already is set to unless they make a ton of noise in the wcc tournament so i find it really interesting that his he's one of those players that could truly benefit from a you know, even a short burst of a tournament run. I think if they can make a significant run in the WCC tournament and then get into the NCAA 
um tournament as well if they can even make a you know if they can even make it to day two I think that significantly helps Kessler Edwards draft stock because they'll be able to see him on a lot larger of a stage because this is a conference where especially because they played most of their games in conference this year outside of Gonzaga Gonzaga was all over the place but other than them everybody else pretty much played relatively within their own conference Gonzaga was the measuring stick in terms of having a significant top level win and nobody came even close for the most part so I think it's just interesting though so moving on now to our next team in Pacific and Jalen they lost their leading scorer last year who was a senior in Jaleel Tripp who do you believe has stepped up to fill the role left by Jaleel Tripp? So I think you have to kind of factor in the fact that with Jaleel Tripp, he was just so dynamic as a scorer, and it was a two-level thing for him because of the fact that he was uh, dynamic on the boards as well, 16.2 points per game and 8.9 rebounds. That That is something that is hard to be able to duplicate, and unfortunately this team hasn't necessarily been able to do that, but this – this little committee lineup thing they got going with Denise Jenkins, Jeremiah Bailey, and Brock Fistune is really interesting. They lost 16 points, nearly 17 points per game in one guy, and they decided to run it through three guys as their primary offensive actions, each averaging just over 11 points per game. Um that's a pretty good way to substitute one player who's very dynamic and makes up a good portion of your offensive sets. So the fact that you can go from 16, nearly 17 points per game from one player and translate that into 33 points per game between three guys evenly distributing the ball amongst one another, I think that's very interesting. Um, the other thing, obviously, too, is that they they gang rebound, and I think that's another thing that's pretty huge as well. Jeremiah Bailey leads the way with 6.1 rebounds per game. Jordan Bell is a guy who's in the mix with 6.8 rebounds as well. Um in their um in their front court area but Brock Fistoon with 5.9 Denise Jenkins with 3.2 um it's a lot of by committee stuff Denise Jenkins has 1.2 steals Jeremiah Bailey has 1.6 Jordan Bell has 1.1 um again I already mentioned the top three guys all averaging 11 points per game um I think another thing that's relatively interesting too is just the fact that they all shoot relatively well from the floor, I mean, Jenkins is probably their, like, most underwhelming shooter, but he's the guy who has the most volume of shots um, at 11.9, which is, you know, about four higher than the next closest guy in Jeremiah Bailey with 8.3. Uh, Brock Fistoon has 8.4, so I guess it's kind of relatively within that area. But Jenkins shoots 40.6% from the floor. Bailey is 45.4. Fistoon is 49.7. I mean, I think what they basically did is they went from last season. If you look at what they had last year, right, third in the WCC at the time, and really once you once you, when you really look at their lineup, it was Jaleel Tripp and everybody else. There wasn't a single person that averaged double figures behind him. Justin Moore was the next person close, and he had eight point one meaning Tripp was literally doubling the next best score on their team. And that's just not, I mean, I, ideally, it's interesting that they were third in the conference despite having this interesting of a style. But I think it's kind of also funny that they had a go-to guy and that really defined their season. So I think that one of the things that I would take away from this is that it's very 
it's it should be positive or there should be a positive uh outlook on the fact that they were able to distribute uh distribute the scoring out um out, output um more evenly this season but it is kind of interesting to see that they performed a bit better last year with a go-to guy at the helm so just a couple of tidbits to take away from the overall season um, for this team. They had a great season last year. They finished 23 and 10 and 11 and five at conference play under head coach Damon Stoudemire. That was his first winning season as the head coach for Pacific. And it was their first winning season since the 2013, 2014 season. And you mentioned the three guys that have really stepped up for them. Denise Jenkins, Jeremiah Bailey, and Brock Finstoon. Damon Stoudemire needed guys who could take the next step this season. Last season, they had Jaleel Tripp, who was a senior. He was their leading scorer, averaging 16 points a game and close to nine rebounds last season. With him gone, they needed someone to fill the role. And it's, like you said, it's been a team effort this season to fill out the role. Jenkins, Bailey, and Finstoon have all improved in points per game this season. Jenkins went from averaging six points a game last season to close to 12 this season. Bailey was averaging three points a game last season. Now he's averaging close to 11. Finstoon was averaging five points a game, and now he's averaging 11 points a game. I think Pacific has come a long way since Damon Stoudemire's first season as coach. I think they have a chance to improve next season. Yeah, I think there's a lot of tidbits to take away from them. I think, like I said beforehand, I just find it really interesting, the contrast between their group effort team and their, you know, I wouldn't say star-led led team, but their um, go-to guy-oriented offense. I think that's interesting seeing the significant difference between the two, but it also shows that they can play with different playing styles and still hang in there. So I think that they're a team on the uptick depends on what we see in terms of the talent and the development going into next year. I think there's definitely some building blocks to look forward to though. So moving on now to our next team in Santa Clara, Jalen, who do you believe is the standout player for this team? So, I mean, this is another one that's like, you know, it's not like Eli Scott level, in terms of being like the defined go-to guy, but Josip Varank, um, I mean, that's that's pretty much it. I mean, for them, I mean, Jalen Williams and Keyshawn Justice right behind him average just under 11 points per game, but uh, Varank has 15.3 points per game, has significantly improved as a rebounder this season, uh, 8.7 rebounds per game, 1.8 assists, 1.1 steals per game. Um, I mean, he's shooting 42.8% from the floor. The big thing that stands out is on just under three attempts per game, he's shooting 23.9%. This team is not really good at shooting the three ball at all, dude. I mean, literally, when you look down the line, I mean, they have two guys who are taking at least two attempts shooting 40% or better from three. Other than that, their most high volume guys, Keyshawn Justice, with 5.5 three point attempts, and he's shooting 27.3% from three. Like this team, three point shooting wise, is uh, pretty horrendous, honestly. I have to be honest. They're not very good in that department at all. And I think that's one of the things that's really hurting them overall this season because their inability to shoot the three is 
keeping them out of games. They're a relatively decent rebounding team, um, third third in their conference in defensive rebounding, but they're middle of the pack overall in terms of uh, total rebounding, sixth in the conference with 32.9. Um, they don't share the ball very much, eighth in assists with just under 12 assists per game, low scoring team under 67, uh, just over 67 points uh, per game. I mean, their calling card is taking care of the ball. <laughs> They're a team that doesn't turn over the ball very much, just under their um 14 turnovers per game. I mean, other than that, they don't have anything that necessarily stands out overall. So it's one of those things where they're just a team that's floating around the middle of the pack. And unless they get hot from shooting three throughout this tournament, I mean, I can see them as one of those those teams in this tournament that gets put, put out relatively early with the wrong matchup. Yeah, I think for Santa Clara, it starts with Joseph Frankich. 15 points a game, close to nine rebounds and over a steal a game. Shooting, like you mentioned, 42.8% from the field. He's their leading scorer and their leading rebounder. Seven double-doubles this season for him, including a 24-12 and game against Loyola Marymount, 25-15 and against San Diego, 14-11 and against Gonzaga. Jalen Williams, you mentioned, was another guy. He's been a solid scoring option for them this season. He's averaging close to 11 points a game, just over a steal a game. He's played some of his best basketball to close out the season. He closed out the season with six double-digit scoring games in the last seven games for Santa Clara, including back-to-back 15-point games against San Diego and San Francisco, and then back-to-back 18-point games against Loyola Marymount, which were season highs in points for him. Santa Clara is a team that's either looking in from the outside or playing into the tournament. I think there's a chance they can win the entire tournament, but I think it's going to be tough if this team doesn't win the tournament to make the NCAA tournament. Yeah. I mean, the run is that that their run is the only way they're getting in. This is one of those teams that they, I mean, they're going to have to spook a bunch of teams on the way up to even sniff a chance at the tournament. And I just don't see it being a case. So moving on now to our last team in St. Mary's. Jalen, is there a chance that St. Mary's makes the tournament this year? Nah, I got to be honest. They, they're a very interesting story of overall. There's a lot of guys that for this team have really, really improved. And I think that's something that they should definitely be proud of. But I, def, I don't think this is a team that's going to be a make a run at the tournament. Again, this is, this is another squad that's going to have to really like spook some teams on the way up. But let's just talk about some of the feel-good things that they've had happen so far um, this season. Matthias Tass is a guy who last season was averaging 6.6 points per game. Now he's averaging 11 points per game. He went from 3.6 rebounds to 5.1 rebounds. I think those are that's very, um, very upside-y for a guy like that. Thomas Cousset, another guy who was averaging single digits the last three seasons, he barely averaged a point his freshman year. Went from his freshman year averaging just under a point to then 6.2 points per game, dropped down to 5.9, and then boosted all the way up to 12.6 uh, 12. points per game this year and as well um, and added 5.0 rebounds and 3.8 um, or 5.0 assists and 3.8 rebounds as well. Um, while playing in every in every game and starting every game, 
um, that he's played as well, something that he couldn't say in past seasons. He started for most of the season the last two years, but this is a year where he was, became a full-blown starter. And then Logan Johnson at the top. He's our leading scorer right now with 12.8 points per game. And pretty much, I mean, this is a guy who had Cincinnati two seasons ago only averaged two points per game and didn't really do very much after transferring. Now he's averaging nearly 13 points per game just over a steal per game, two assists per game, and 3.7 rebounds per game. So I think the feel-good story for a team like St. Mary's is the fact that they've seen a lot of improvement from a handful of guys from last season to this season. Even if you look at another guy like Alex Dukas, he went from 3.6 points per game last year to 9.1 points per game this year, literally doubled in the rebound department, going from 2.2 to 4.9 I think there's just a lot of different things that you can look at from this team's development from last season to this year and say that there's some bright spots there. I know that they're that a handful of the guys that I named are either in their uh, in their senior or junior year. But nonetheless, just to seeing the fact that these guys have been developed from one year to the next should be a very significant upside for this team moving forward, as there's other guys on this team that could easily step into some of these roles and maybe get some big minutes. Yeah, and the interesting thing with St. Mary's is that they're one of the stronger defensive teams in the conference. They're first in opponents' points per game and 17th in the NCAA in that category. However, they don't score a lot of points. They only average about 65 points a game on the offensive side. You mentioned Logan Johnson as being one of the bright spots for this team. He was averaging 1.4 points a game last season. Now he's averaging close to 13 points a game and he's shooting 46% from the field, close out the season with eight straight double-digit scoring games, including 20 points in the win over San Francisco, 19 points in the win over Pepperdine, and then back-to-back 17-point games against Pacific and BYU. You also mentioned Tommy Kuse, who's averaging close to 13 points a game, five assists, and a steal and a half a game. He's been a solid facilitator for this team. And then Matthias Tass. You mentioned the improvement from last year to this season, averaging 11 points a game, five rebounds, shooting 50% from the field. Another guy who closed out the season with a lot of double-digit scoring games, five straight double-digit scoring games to be exact, 17-7 and against Pepperdine, a 15-8 and game against Pacific. I think St. Mary's chances of making the tournament are about the same as the four previous teams that we talked about. I think it could be interesting if they're able to win the conference tournament, but they may end up being in a situation where they're on the outside looking in if they don't win the conference tournament. Yeah, I mean, I think they're one of those teams that because they're in the bottom four of this conference, I mean, it's one of those things where once you start getting out of the power five conferences, punching your ticket as a lower seed in your own conference literally relies on your ability to not only progress through your conference tournament, but you probably have to punch your ticket. And I, there's a lot of feel-good stories for this team in terms of guys that have significantly jumped from last year to this year, but I don't think it's going to be enough necessarily to outlast a team like Gonzaga or BYU. And I honestly think that LMU is another team that honestly I'm not necessarily sure if they would be able to hang with. But they have a good win over Pepperdine this season. So, I mean, there's hope, but I just think Gonzaga's too much of an animal at the top for them to be to get past. And that's saying something when, you know, you also count in teams like BYU and LMU that are relatively dangerous on um as well. 
So moving on now to our sleepers. Jalen, who is your sleeper in the West Coast Conference? Oh, man, this is like what we, you know, this is the same thing for any team that's a non-Power 5 conference. Unfortunately, like once you get past the top seven, you're in a pretty dark place. I mean, pretty much it's San Francisco by default, and it's for a couple of reasons. I mean, obviously the record stands, but I mean, Portland is 0-11 in the conference. San Diego is 2-7 and in the conference with no wins at home. No wins at home? Not a single win at home? Uh, you know, that, that's that's a rough one. San Francisco is at least 10 and 13. Respectable that they were able to crack double digits. Pacific is nine and eight and they're fifth in the conference. So just the fact that they were able to crack double digit wins is, I think, very interesting as well. Four and nine in the conference is obviously the biggest thing hurting them. Three and five at home, four and six on the road. I mean, they've got the best road record. They technically got the best home record technically i mean portland is five and eight but technically you know three five i mean pretty much even steven in that area i mean yeah i mean i think it's san diego by default bro i think once you look at the bottom three they're the ones with the best everything resume wise as a sneaky team that might be able to catch some some teams lacking but overall I mean, my biggest thing that I can maybe lean on is the fact that let's look at some of the most recent things that have happened over the last couple of weeks in particular. Lose to Pacific, but it's only by seven points. Interesting enough. Lose to BYU, but it's only by six. Lose to LMU, and it's only by five. They got shellacked by Gonzaga, but who's not getting shellacked by Gonzaga? It was 100 to, 100 to 61. The Pepperdine loss was 76 to 68. I think one of the biggest thing is that at least these conference losses, they're respectable. You know what I mean? They're within 10 points. Their earlier matchup against BYU was 72 to 63. Like these, these matchups against some of their top flight teams outside of Gonzaga are pretty much within 10 points, which is, you know, easily swing wise in this, in this season. I find it really interesting that they've been able to hang with some of the better teams in the WCC. Here's one of the biggest things that I think is a caveat for them. Their first round matchup in the West coast um, tournament is against San Diego. Who's right behind them. That's their first matchup. That's going to take place on uh, March 4th tomorrow. uh, Based on when we're recording this. I think that's a winnable game. I think that's at least a good start moving into the tournament for them. It's enough for them to be able to at least start making a little bit of noise. But you just got to wonder, man. You just, just got to wonder how much lightning can strike in the bottle for them to really be able to make a significant run. So it's it's tough for San Francisco. I know early on in the season, they were able to put themselves on the map. I mean, with the, with the tournament that they were in, Defeated Towson in that tournament. They also knocked off Virginia in that tournament as well, 61 to 60. But I don't think it helps when you close out the season on a six-game losing streak. Jalen, you mentioned that there were a couple games in there where they where they had a fighting chance. BYU was only a six-point loss. LMU was a five-point loss. St. Mary's was a four-point loss. So they had the opportunities there to try to win those games. I mean, obviously they're close games, but it's tough when you lose those close games because it hurts you in the conference standings. And 
the benefit could be that they play San Diego and that they win, but who do you play after that? Most likely you probably end up playing either. I believe it's going to either be St. Mary's or Santa Clara on the second day of the tournament. But I think for San Francisco, it's going to be tough to try to pull it out. I have to say that one of the bright spots in this team is Jamari Bouya, who's averaging 17 and a half points a game, three and a half rebounds, three and a half assists, shooting close to 50% from the field. He's been able to close out the season on a strong note in six of the last seven San Francisco games. He's had six double digit performances, 13 points in the win against Santa Clara, 21 and seven in the loss to St. Mary's. He was able to put up 14 points on 60% shooting from the field against Gonzaga, had a 33-point game to go along with three steals in the loss to Loyola Marymount, 16-point game against BYU, and then a double-double, 22-10 and 10 against Pacific. So I think he's one guy that could be a factor for them if they're able to go all the way to the conference final, perhaps win the conference tournament. I'd also say Khalil Shabazz is another guy, 15.6 points a game, 3.7 rebounds, shooting close to 37% from the field. Another guy who finished out the season strong, the last five games, 20 points against Pepperdine, 15-point game against Pacific to go along with five rebounds and a steal. And for the last five games, he actually has two steals a game. But for San Francisco, like you mentioned, Jalen, this is a conference where really only two teams get in to go for the tournament. I think there's about six teams fighting for the possible third spot to get into the NCAA tournament in this conference. Yeah, I think that's the I think that's actually a measuring stick that we should discuss that that should be discussed the most because I think honestly Gonzaga and BYU are in. This isn't very similar to some of the other conferences that we've talked about, where after the first two, maybe three, that's when it gets dicey. I think here I feel like the first two are pretty much solidified. And that third one is questionable questionable based on A, what kind of run they make within the actual conference tournament and B. I think they're just going to need a lot of help. I think a lot of, I think for this conference in particular, it is a fight for the third spot. I think LMU uh, has a chance to hold on to it. If I had to pick my own personal dark horse to be able to take that third spot, I'd pick Pepperdine because I just trust Kessler, Kessler Edwards a bit more as an individual talent than maybe Eli Scott. Um, but this is one where I think that they're going, whoever is that third team, they're going to have to openly solidify themselves as the third team in the conference. Maybe even play above their weight a little bit to kind of really pump their chest out there. And then they're going to need a lot of help around them. So transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, which team in the West Coast Conference do you believe could be the third NCAA tournament team going into the conference tournament? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk Podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you guys next episode. Peace.